Welcome to Canby's Quarterly Results Podcast. I'm Gerard Starkey, the SVP of Marketing and Communications at Canby, and today we'll be discussing the Q4 2022 report, which was published on the 22nd of February. We're actually recording this on Friday the 24th of February, two days after the results were released. Apologies if you've been waiting for this podcast. But moving forward, we're going to have a new a new time slot for this um, podcast. It will land a couple of days after the report moving forward. Back to today, as usual, I'm joined by Canby CEO Christian Nyland and Canby CFO David Kenyon. And we're going to be discussing the Q4 report, which was a, a very positive report. Just to give you some, some top line numbers, revenue up 66% or up 30% underlying. And we'll come on to uh, some of the factors behind that later on. But also EBITDA up 144% year on year, operating profit up 164%, and um, in general, really strong growth across the board. And we'll be talking to David shortly about some of those numbers. But coming to you first, Christian, thanks for joining us in kind of in total. It was a really good quarter, really strong quarter. But just hopefully you can touch on a few of the operational and, and commercial highlights for you. Yeah. Uh, hi, Gerard. Yeah, I'm really pleased with the quarter. Of course, we can start uh, with uh, the highlight of the quarter, which was uh, the World Cup. Very strange time of year to have a World Cup in November mm-hmm. and December. But, so we were a little bit unsure how, how the impact would be. I mean, I think we lost roughly 30% of uh, the top league soccer thanks to, to the World Cup. So a little bit unsure how, how if the impact would be positive. But net, uh, we believe that uh, the result was... Uh, better than it would have been on a normal year. So very pleased with that. Obviously, it's not the same impact that it would have been with the World Cup in, in June or July. But all in all, very pleased with the result. Very pleased with the performance of, of our systems. And most importantly, very pleased with the product we, we were able to produce. We had a rollout of the third generation trading, which gave the end users a, a much, much better better product, especially we could offer a bet builder that was uh, fantastic. So very pleased with that and, and also very encouraged for the future of, of that part of the product. We, of course, did a few partner signings uh, during the year. The one to mention, I think, is Reido Pitaco, uh, which uh, was our priority target in Brazil. They have a fantastic database. They are the leading daily fantasy operator in Brazil. So what we hope for is that they can emulate what FanDuel or DraftKings has done in the US in Brazil. And with the size of Brazil, I mean, that opportunity is really, really exciting for us. When the government decided to, to finally regulate the sports betting in, in Brazil. Yeah, 14 million, uh, 14 million downloads of the app, which is more than, than DraftKings or, or FanDuel have in, in America. So I suppose that, that tells you how big the opportunity in Brazil could be. Yeah, exactly. Of course, I mean, the, the, the financial situation for people in, in Brazil is maybe not the same as in the in, yeah. in US, but the sheer numbers is amazing. Mm-hmm. Great potential. And then, of course, we expanded uh, with more launches in the US. Maryland and and Washington State during the quarter and maybe after the quarter, more importantly, Ohio and Massachusetts as well. We did a few provinces in, in Argentina and now we have six provinces plus uh, the city of Buenos Aires. So I would say 
Argentina is also very exciting. I think fi- financially it would probably take a few years or that to really make a difference because I think we need we need a stronger currency in in Argentina for for, for this to, to really happen. But uh, very promising results to start with. So yeah, I very pleased all in all. Good uh, financial metrics and very happy finish the year on top. Excellent, excellent. And one of the main things you mentioned there was third generation trading. And I know this was covered in, in some depth at your recent Capital Markets Day. So for those listening, if you haven't seen that Capital Markets Day, I'd, I'd strongly encourage you to, to go onto canby.com. You'll find it there under the investor section and have a, have a look at that. But, you know, in, in summary, you mentioned there's got some fantastic potential. If you can just touch on what we could expect from this third gen trading and you know, you touched on the, how strong it was at the World Cup and how well it, it ran there. But you know, since that Capital Markets Day, it's been rolled out to various domestic leagues in, in Europe, including Champions League. So it, it'd be good to, to know roughly how that's gone as well. Um, kind of, you know, whether it's been a similar positive story as we saw at the World Cup. Yes. What we mean with third generation trading, maybe to explain first, uh, take the first generation trading, that was the pure manual trading. After that, for many years, we, we have had algorithms uh, mainly to support on, on understanding how time changes uh, things in, in, in play betting and uh, also to be able to create derivatives of the main markets. Uh, but most models ha- has been very parameter driven which means that the traders have to give input to the models and and with where we are going with more and more player play-based bets uh, more and more micro markets uh, the sheer amount of parameters you have to set becomes so so large so to really be able to move forward we needed to to create models that that is uh, much much more machine driven and and more or less now the trader has more of a role of over uh, overlooking what's happening and maybe once now and again interfere when when we get into situations that data can't handle for instance if you see an injury in tennis or if you get very very strange results if you remember Germany Brazil semi final uh, a few years ago where, where oh, Germany won 7 1. 7 1, uh, yeah. I mean, it was 2 0 after a few minutes. And I mean, that is a situation where, where yeah, you can more or less throw out the models so often. So now we, we have a situation where we have models that actually are, are learning themselves to adjust over time. So we believe we become stronger and stronger. and I mean, now I guess data is becoming uh, the limiting factor a little bit. And, and I mean, if you look into the future, I can see uh, even further development when you can measure what's happening with players or, or um, look at, I mean, I've seen uh, like eye recognition systems that, that probably already now can uh, detect if players would be nervous, obviously. We don't have data on that now, but uh, that is a probability in, in the future that, that we could probably add to, to, to this kind of model. So I think this is super exciting. We are early on, uh, but the results we, we had during World Cup is really, really promising. As I said, now we have uh, rolled it out into uh, 
many of the top leagues pretty much and, and currently run roughly 60% uh, of uh, all turnover through this model pretty much. Uh, mm-hmm. Last weekend, I think, was up even to 75%. The next step is to take this into in-play betting. And after that, uh, we expect to, to be able to roll out more sports during the coming years. And, and you mentioned there that you know data is, is is central to this and the ability to leverage the, the the full extent of that data. And and does the fact that it went so well at the World Cup really give you a, a great feeling for for how it could work across across kind of domestic leagues and other sports as well? Considering at the World Cup, the data isn't really that rich that you don't really have, you know, many instances of World Cups. They're every four years and and, and so on. So you know the impact it could have on sports day to day could be even greater. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you have historic data is quite limited when it comes to international football. So, so there it would be easier with, with, with top leagues. But the, then again, I mean, if you go down lower into the leagues, you would probably not have the same data. So you can't have as rich offering. But the, yeah, we are really, really excited about the opportunities here. And also, if you can touch on kind of, you know, you mentioned on the product side, but on the um, efficiency side as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we gave an example uh, on, on one of the slides uh, in the presentation, but uh, in the knockout stages, we were able to publish uh, more than 500 offers in, in 90 seconds. And I mean, mm. historically, that have taken hours to do. Obviously, when, when you have a large number of, of matches to do with on uh, there is uh, a huge potential to, to create much, much higher efficiency in, in what we're doing. Great. So it really ticks a lot of the boxes. Another thing you, you mentioned in your, the report, Christian, you discussed, and I know you had a few questions post-report, was was around bet builders or, or same-game parlays, if, you, if you're listening in the US. It's been a hot topic. It's obviously a, a product that's gained traction, a vast amount of traction over, over the last couple of years. And and kind of the investment you've put into the product and the, the quality product you've got is is testament to that. But when it comes to kind of the discussion that's been happening on various forums around around the odds and, and the margin that are applied to best builders and the disparity you can get, sometimes a vast disparity between dim, different bookmakers and suppliers, you know, can be on, on the kind of the cutting edge of that. We, we've said previously that, that we offer the best odds. Um, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to get your take on or, and for you to develop the argument you made on Wednesday around you know, what, what do we actually mean when Canby says it offers the best odds? How does it do it? You know, what, what's behind that, the mechanics? And what advantages does this bring to the players and also to your partners who are offering this product, you know, on a consumer facing level? Yes, I guess what really drew us to talk more about this that we feel it has been some misconception in the industry. Many leaders have been talking about having very, very high margin or, or hoping to get the higher margin in the future. So I just wanted to clarify a little bit. And, and we used an example from Wall Street Journal where we compared uh, DraftKings and FanDuel as we showed our price uh, at exactly the same point in time uh, as the comparison with FanDuel and, and DraftKings. And I would say if we had 15% margin in our pricing, FanDuel and DraftKings had 30. And I think it's a few very important pieces here. For first of all, I mean, margin itself is 
maybe not a thing to really try to achieve because I mean players who who are good customers to you you don't want them to lose the money too too quickly because you want to make the product entertaining. The reason often that uh, you're taking out too much margin is that you are losing money to the smart players or professional players. But and uh, I think with bet builders, it's much much more complex uh, to price than, than many other products since uh, you are dealing with related contingencies. You have correlation between the, the different prices. I think if you can have good prices, I mean, that is a huge advantage for the operators who have something to promote and you will get happier players. You have a good chance of, of winning new customers from, from the competitors if uh, you constantly can, can have higher prices, of course. And and especially on a, on a product like that builder who just is becoming more and more popular. We introduced the cash out for the American football just before Super Bowl. And when you have cash out, margin you are taking out has to, to decrease. Otherwise, you, you get into a very evident situation mm, where yeah. the cash out price becomes very silly straight after you have placed a bet if you're taking out too much margin. Of course. So, so do you think the scenario will be that Others in the market will come closer to what to where we are at the moment rather than us moving towards where they are? Absolutely. The problem for, for many is that, I mean, if you can't deal with correlations, it's hard to come closer because mm-hmm. you will start losing money to yield players. Thanks for that, Christian. If we can move on to you now, David, just a few questions around the numbers. I kind of read out a few of the highlights at the start, probably didn't touch on the the operator turnover, which was also strong up 20% year on year and 43% sequentially. So even even that metric's moving in the right direction. But your aspect from your point of view, what what were you particularly pleased about in the quarter regarding the numbers? Hi, Jared. Yeah, I was really pleased. And I think basically I was was pleased because all the financial metrics were pointing in the right direction. Yeah. Of course, this was the first quarter where we get a really clear picture about how the business is shaping up in terms of comparatives without DraftKings. Before last year was the first quarter where they didn't contribute to our numbers. So now we're looking at comps which are clean from, from DraftKings. So we get a real view on where the business is at. It's also the first full quarter where we've had shape integrated into the business and into the results. So if you look at those financial metrics, I think I think they're all positive, honestly. Operated turnover up 20%. Revenue underlying up 30%. Growth of EBIT, excluding amortization on goodwill and acquisitions. And really importantly, cash flow, which was 17.9 million in the quarter, which is a, a huge mm-hmm. conversion of cash and, and really strengthened our balance sheet. After, you know, last in September, we made an acquisition of Shape Games fully in cash. So to make 17.9 million cash now in Q4 really kind of repositions our balance sheet to help us again with future growth using using that balance sheet. We did, we did, I should reference all those numbers I gave, but without, without the pen termination fee, we see we accounted for $12.5 million in this termination fee from pen, but I'm stripping that out when I'm giving okay. all those positive financial metrics. So, you know, really the underlying business is doing, it's doing great. So even minus pen, there's some good double digit, even more growth in, in the business. That's right. Kristen touched on the World Cup. Of course, there's a question whether the reduction in, in domestic fixtures would, would, would make this an, an, a net positive or net negative. We reported that you know soccer was up year on year. So, you know, from a financial aspect, how, how did you view the World Cup? How, how did that perform? I mean, firstly, from a non-financial aspect, what a great World Cup! 
Yes, indeed. Really exciting, exciting on the pitch, exciting for our customers. And, and, you know, great financial results from it. We had a a strong margin from the World Cup with with some of the surprises we saw in the early rounds. Then obviously some great matches at the end of the tournament. If you look at the, we we tried to make an estimation on the comparison of what we would have made without the World Cup if it had been the regular major European League fixtures. And we, we, we think we've made a little more with the World Cup. So it was a, probably a net positive in terms of the fixtures that were displaced versus what we did make on the World Cup. Obviously, it's, it's, it is better for us when it's in this normal summer spot where it you know, fits mm. in between the regular sporting calendars. Still, we think it was a net positive and a, and a great tournament. You know, with Argentina getting to the final, we saw really strong numbers coming from our Latin partners, which was particularly interesting to know. And, and, and as um, Christian mentioned earlier, the, the, uh, from a non-financial perspective, of course, the, the, uh, the efficiency of the third gen trading, which we rolled out for that World Cup, you know, that gives me real hope and confidence for our cost development going forward because uh, that operational efficiency we saw in the World Cup, as that becomes a bigger part of our product, that, that can become a real key to our future cost development. Excellent. And of those fixtures that, that were displaced, many of those are going to be pushed into to, to Q1 and Q2. So should, should we expect a, a strong soccer performance in, in the coming quarters? I think it's helpful because, yeah, I mean, operators can can activate the customers now from December, comes at the end of the World Cup, straight into those extra fixtures. I think maybe more of the fixtures will come into Q2, actually, at the, where the fixtures get backloaded yeah. the, at the end of the season, where, where the leagues really try and squeeze all the fixtures in. But definitely, I think it, there probably will be more fixtures in Q1 and certainly more fixtures than we'd normally have in Q2. So, uh, yeah, we, we'll wait and see with that, but uh, it certainly shouldn't be a negative. There's, there's certainly not fixtures lost. On costs, David, in, in Q4, they came in at you know, roughly the lower end of expectations. You know, what, what was driving that and how should we look at costs um, for the year ahead, particularly looking at the recent acquisitions as well? Yeah. So there were a few kind of factors affecting Q4 specifically, which I'll talk about, but then I want to really focus more on yeah. looking forward to where we see costs going. In terms of Q4, you would have seen that the headcount was flat from the end of Q3 to the end of Q4. Kind of intentionally so, it's initiatives we've been taking in the business to to slow down our headcount growth, and that's starting to feed through now into those numbers. So that that obviously impacts our costs, starts impacting costs in Q4, and and hopefully going forward as well. There were some credits we had took in the PL relating to share options, where we've had a couple of levers and costs associated with expected costs on national insurance on on share options. So not very exciting, but it ended up with yeah. some credits in the PL. And thirdly, I guess the, the third one was was on shape where we had expected to staff up slightly earlier in order to fulfill some contract signings. Those those are somewhat delayed, not hopefully not hugely, but you know, it did impact the cost we, we ended up taking in Q4 versus what we expected to take. So not we were slightly under the range, the forecast range, but for good reasons I would say. But going forward, I think it's much more interesting that we look at that. I mean, we talked a lot at the Capital Markets Day about expected cost development, and I would urge anyone who hasn't listened to to check that out. Where you really you get a lot of detail about what we think about that. The headline message was that investments we've made in automation and now in our third-gen trading project are going to enable a significant slowdown in the rate of our cost growth going forward. And you start to see that we're looking at the CMD on a kind of longer-term perspective, I'd say, but you start to see it now already in. 2023 with the forecast we made of 155 to 175 million of, of operating expenses. If you strip out the kind of extra cost in the year because of having shaped games in the PL, actually that, that shows our, our underlying cost growth is sub 15% year on year. We have been running north of 
And I think the initiatives we're taking now in trading and, and automation, um, they're really going to enable us to continue that slowdown in the underlying cost growth. So it's quite an exciting time, really, when you, when you start looking ahead with this slowdown in cost growth, without which does not affect our ability to deliver top line. Some real efficiencies and synergies beginning to show them. Definitely, yeah. Excellent. Thanks, David. Coming back to you, Christian, we're reporting Q4 relatively late this year. We're in the back end of February, so much of Q1 has, has already um, been and gone. I know you can't delve into into performance numbers or give any indications around that, but again, from kind of a, an operational perspective, I suppose, if you can just touch on or give any flavour, any colour on on how Q1 has, has been going so far, so events after Q4. Yeah, I think I'm quite pleased so far. The American football season is over and, and yeah, Super Bowl went very well. We had press release out about uh, that and, and really pleased with performance. And a great As game. Yeah, fantastic game. Really enjoyable. And uh, yeah, of course, the sporting calendar for, for the rest of the quarters, as we, you mentioned, uh, you and David, about the number of soccer matches going forward is great. We have a March Madness to uh, looking forward to in a few weeks' time. I would like to point out that February is 10% less days than any other months, so that will obviously drag mm-hmm. down the numbers uh, slightly. But uh, yeah, all in all, really happy. We have done a few signings already uh, this quarter. And, and as I mentioned before, we have launched, uh, I think we have done 16 partner launches already, day one, both in Ohio and Massachusetts. Looking forward to the rest of the quarter, and we will continue with uh, our third generation trading rollout. Yes, 16 launches in, in a matter of seven or eight weeks. That's, that, that's some cadence you've got there. And looking slightly further ahead, you know, David touched on the costs for, for 2023, but how about Canby's plans for 2023? Where, where would you like to be come come December or, or, or January 24? What do you like to achieve? And, and yeah, where's the business headed? I mean, uh, yeah, we set out uh, quite uh, optimistic and tough targets for ourselves for, for the next coming years. And I mm-hmm. hope we have started the journey uh, towards that, of course. One of the big pieces here is to develop a strategy further and, and start uh, selling the, the modernized services. Uh, so I hope we'll see some of those deals uh, coming in at some point. Of course, I think regulation, as always, is really important. Uh, with the signing of RDP, we are really, really excited about Brazil. So I think that is uh, probably the, the, the most important regulation this year for us. Of course, I talked about that we have a great sales pipeline. So I expect us to do a few new good partner signings as well during the year. Looks like a a really, really good year to start it well and and, uh, very optimistic about the rest of the year. Excellent. Well, it all sounds like everything's pointing in the right direction, both numbers and and in terms of the opportunities ahead. So I think on, on that positive note, I'll Thank you again, Christian, and thank you again, David, for, for joining me for this. As I mentioned before, you can expect the the next quarterly podcast to come out following the Q1 report, which is going to be on the 26th of April, so in the days following the 26th of April. So hopefully you'll join us both for the quarterly report and for the quarterly report podcast. So thanks, everyone, for listening and speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.